Hey everyone. First off, this is part two of a two-part episode on the Math Rock Times Festival. So if you haven't heard the first one, go ahead, pause this one, give it a listen, and I'll see you back here in about half an hour. Also, since part one came out, some of the parties involved in this story have listened to it, which is great, but they've also offered their feedback before the whole story was told, which is more complicated. I didn't want to let any of that influence the way this piece turned out. While the response has certainly been a reminder that there aren't just two sides to any story, I hope I've succeeded in not letting it change the direction of things. I also want to make it abundantly clear that this is not a hit piece or part of any kind of smear campaign. I spoke with nine people who had first-hand experience so that I didn't have to imagine what might have happened based on what I saw play out online before, during, and after the festival. I've done everything I can to present what they've said faithfully, but remember that ultimately, what you're hearing is an amalgam of subjective retellings and are not meant to represent a voice of authority or some kind of irrefutable through-line. I urge you to draw your own conclusions. Quick correction as well, in the last part, I mentioned that Channing didn't give Mark and Mance credit for playing such a massive role in the festival. However, I was able to find a post from the Math Rock Times account on March 14th at 11.44pm on the Facebook event page that reads, Shout out to Enochian Entertainment for saving the day and helping us find a new venue in a day's notice during South by Southwest. This is one of the stages, standards just cancelled. Attached is a photo of the stage. When I left you last time, we had just learned that Channing, creator of the Math Rock Times Fest, had lost his venue. The owner of the land where it was to be held pulled the plug at the last minute, leaving Channing and his newly appointed sound engineers, Mark Schroth and Mance Fine, scrambling to secure a new venue for the two-day festival on just a few hours' notice. One of the headliners, Marcos Mena of Standards, was driving in from California when he heard that the venue had fallen through. So at this point, I'm completely, I'm completely flustered. I don't, I don't even know what to do. Yeah, it was, it was dead right there. You know, the venue is, a, is like probably the biggest part of any festival. You know, the space that people are going to be experiencing. That's Danny Lakey from the band Yearner, an organizer of Plus Fest. If you recall, Mance Fine from another Dasad put up his own money to rent audio equipment for the festival, which he risked losing if they couldn't find a new place. Here's Mance. We didn't know if he was shady at the time or if he was incompetent. So we were really nervous that like, you know, are we going to get totally, you know, screwed here? Are we going to, are we just spent, you know, 600 bucks renting a PA for this fest for two days. And not only is this guy about, is it about to be totally canceled? This guy just spent a grand on Florida potty, which he's not going to have to pay us with. But Mark had an idea. His friend owned a bar called Kiva in San Marcos. A little out of the way, sure, but it was better than nothing. And he was like, yeah, sure. Uh, we have shows scheduled at like 8 p.m. both nights, but you can uh, you can go up until then. San Marcos is about an hour from Austin, and he kept saying that it was 25 minutes away from the original venue. The original venue was hardly in Austin to begin with, and with South by Southwest traffic on top of that and multiple bands having several events in Austin the same day as we did, it was logistically impossible to actually make our set times. Some people, like Bo Harris of Old News, found out how long the drive was firsthand. Unfortunately, we did get notified of a time slot change during rush hour traffic in Austin. So we got stuck by like in traffic at 6th Street for literally like an hour and a half just trying to get there. I call him and I'm like, hey, man, just saw that the venue got moved and you took down all the set times. What's our set time? And he told his response was the guy who's going to do that isn't off work yet. So he's going to do that later. And I'm like, dude, the festival starts in 12 hours and it becomes immediately apparent that this guy has no idea what he's doing. Um, There were hints of it before, but like I said, I wanted to give him the benefit of the doubt. 
I knew a lot of bands were on the, the edge of teetering out anyways. If I didn't back out, someone else would. So I made an announcement that night that standards wouldn't be playing. You know, that's when the kind of snowball effect started happening and bands started dropping off. We didn't really think about pulling out just because, you know, like all of us are really big on giving our word to people. And so, you know, we told him that he was that we were going to be there uh, just to do our part and trying to make the show a success. I guess we drove out. Um, you know, I know hikes, floral uh, standards, televangelists all dropped, which caused, you know, we knew we knew that would happen. We knew once like the big the bigger bands dropped that it was going to be a snowball effect and that it would kind of become just a trend to drop off. Immediately, uh, there were talks amongst the bands and group chats about still having a festival, but somewhere else in Austin, essentially taking the entire lineup and moving it. There was another festival that was organized called the Math Rock Firefest, which was kind of a funny jab at what had happened. And the cool thing about the Math Rock Firefest was um, it was just in some guy's backyard. Uh, it was this band and it was their house. And um, this guy, Matt, organized the entire thing. Uh, I'm Matt Patterson. Um... I live in the house where Math Rock Firefest went on, and yeah, basically that's it. <laughs> I was the, I was the one who uh, who was running the party side of it all. Uh, I'm Jake Redding. I play guitar and am feel good, and I, along with Matt, kind of just helped get the whole thing together. And I kind of ran the sound part of it, did the party thing. Jake's band, AM Feel Good, was scheduled to play on the second day, Saturday, March 16th. Everybody had kind of had their doubts, I guess, about uh, the Math Rock Times Fest, you know? And I didn't really know much about it, but I was, like, trying to keep it pretty positive. So up until the day, we were like, let's, you know, plan on playing. And if, like, it doesn't happen, let's just try and throw a house show. And eventually, when it got more and more, like, all the other bands were gonna drop, like Kraken, Quartet, and like Hikes and stuff. I hit up Matt and was just like, Yeah, I, we have a big space at the house, and we had another show Thursday, last South By, we had like 10 bands playing every day. And I didn't really want to do that again this year, so we didn't really book that many shows. Yeah. But then this kind of fell into our lap, and I was like, All right, I think we can get enough like speakers together. and. They started hammering out the logistics sitting at a bar where one of their friends worked. Jordan Cope from Mode Dodeca, who was also supposed to play the Math Rock Times Fest Saturday, organized the official event page and got everything set to launch on the Facebook side. And so then we just started like asking bands that we knew to play, like Taylor from Kraken Quartet was like, yeah, we'll do it. And then um, we got a couple other contacts for some a handful of the bands that like we knew, like you knew that um, who was staying at your house that week? Uh, yeah, the dudes from Flora were staying at my house. Yeah, I found out Thursday night before, literally as I was going into work. But that's when I ran into Floral. I like I I feel like I scared them because <laughs> I ran out like just like I gotta go. I'm leaving right now. Can you guys do this? Can you help us out with this? And and then they were stoked because they immediately hit up all like a bunch of their. Bigger name bands, I guess. That's uh, how we got like Wander and like yeah, Wander standards. and Standards was playing. Like, UFI sixty four, right? And then Milets ended up jumping on at the very end, which yeah. was cool. They they were a big part in getting a lot of the like touring bands, just because they were in contact with people and yeah. they made it seem like more of a chill, less stress environment, I guess. There was another house show going on. That was kind of similar vibe that the South Boston Nada dudes were throwing, and they had like 
Abelia and Seafire on there, I think. And so we ended up just like merging those. And so like between them and um, the Bloom and then, you and know. And they let us backline yeah, exactly. all of their gear the whole yeah. time. So that they were the first band and they had just left it all up on stage for us. So that was that was a big relief. And we just like sat there. Jordan had his laptop, you know, we were on our phones, just that, like making lists and stuff. And then once we got like, cause certain people like cracking, like they needed to be out at like a certain time. Like they couldn't play later than yeah, that. Yeah, a lot of the other bands were playing other shows cause either, either the other thing fell through or they just already had another show booked that day. Yeah. So Which it, is very South by. Yeah, but. yeah. That's like, that's the whole idea, you know, just play as much as you can. But uh, yeah, once we got like that, the schedule figured out, it was like, we had the list and then it was like, okay, then pretty much just trying to find the backline gear. So it was like, I, I was running around, you know, get like renting some speakers, you know, getting mixers and stuff. Friend of I did the flyer in like two seconds. I think he actually had the the burning tire. Oh yeah. And it just said Firefest, and then we just wrote Math Rock above it, and yeah. then added all the band names. But that was all hand drawn by him too. Like the yeah. all the names and everything was done the night before. Pretty much once we once we started like promoting it, like hey, we got these bands, like hit us up just more bands kind of started coming to us and like being like hey can we jump on this can we jump on this and so like we ended up deciding like 22 like that was like the max and most most amount of bands we could have that was the most we could fit into the time schedule we're yeah, trying to do yeah that. um i guess the people that did firefest i know they couldn't accommodate all the bands but you know they didn't really reach out to us though i don't really know if anyone really knew that we were doing all this behind the scenes at the time because that dude math matthew chang is that his name right yeah, he so. he called me on Thursday or Friday. I think it was Thursday night. Yeah. Uh, no, it was th it was yeah, it was Thursday. Basically, right before I went to work, and I was finding out about it. And he was like, I think he was kind of talking to me about like maybe just moving it all to my house. And I was like, I can't have seventy bands play at my house. Uh, it sucked for us because we were just like kind of standing there, like, oh, we well, we can't go play Firefest because we got to make sure this happens so we get paid. <laughs> Just in general, like on the whole, like everything came together like really naturally and like was really easy. And then once the show got going, it kind of just like ran itself and was just like every it was just good times, really. And the cops didn't come until the end. Yeah. Like after Milets, and they were like, "How was the concert? We're yeah. just out here giving parking tickets. We don't care about this." Meanwhile, Channing was fielding the flood of questions that were coming in about refunds, the new address, schedule changes, you name it. Fans and performers were getting nervous and raising concerns on the event page. To his credit, Channing answered each question as it came, to the best of his ability. He leapt in headfirst to put out each little fire as it started, instead of hanging back and giving himself a chance to set everything straight all at once. The energy was commendable, but it looked amateur from the outside. Attendees and bands needed Channing to look authoritative, like he had it under control. And whether it's his fault or not, it was clear that he didn't. The next morning, bands began publicly dropping out. Around noon, Floral posted the flyer for Mathrock Firefest, which featured many bands who had just dropped from the Mathrock Times Fest. This was the day of Channing's festival. As Marcos mentioned before, there was some communication from bands going on all along. To some who weren't included in that circle and who didn't end up at Firefest, it looked clicky. I understand that there was only so much room at the house and the sheer amount of bands booked for the Mathrock Times was untenable for anyone on short notice, but something about the way Firefest came together as this kind of secret group really puts a wrench in the whole solidarity thing. Anyway, 
there were bands that stuck to their original commitment. Old News, for example. So what ended up happening was we found out earlier, a little bit earlier in the day, maybe around like two or three in the afternoon, that we were supposed to be at the venue at 550. Um, like I said, all of us were playing other slots at South By, so we have other obligations. And so we left uh, where we needed to be before, you know, and just got caught at the worst possible time. And in all fairness to Matthew, you know, I sent him a message telling him we were going to be late and he was really receptive about it. And, you know, he asked us to still come play. And so we did. Um, but it turns out we also still didn't have a time slot when we got there. So, you know, what can you do? So we walk in and Kiva was awesome. Like they were super gracious hosts. Kiva was a very cool uh, and I guess like spacious in a way uh, venue. In the main room, there's a stage and then there's an attached side room with a door between that had a second stage. It was really fortunate that um, Channing was at least able to get, you know, them locked down. The scaling back, however, didn't do anything to solve the lack of organization. In fact, the sudden changes were probably making things worse. You know, Channing wasn't really communicative about loading in, setting up, loading out, anything like that. Uh, in fact, when we got there, and my partner and I, Shelby, we got there an hour before everything started. Um, he was nowhere to be found. He, he wasn't even there for probably the first hour and a half, two hours, both days. So it was kind of very mix, mix and match. Whoever was there was playing. And then once everybody started getting there, I believe they picked up some semblance of what the um, you know, original set times were going to be, of course, without the people who had already dropped. Channing did show up right around, I want to say, the fourth or fifth band. Um, and I did meet him pretty off the bat. Uh, he seemed very flustered, which I could understand, uh, considering everything that was going on. Then he's like scribbling a schedule update on a piece of cardboard and sending that and then he'd scribble more stuff out and change it and send that and then just kept doing that so it was just this incoherent mess like look man this is your festival you need to tell me when these people are supposed to play and i will make sure those people play at that time like these are our roles it it seemed like to us at least the sound people were you know who we were looking at to answer any sort of set time questions. They were kind of, um, you know, pointing the fingers and giving the, the commands on who to, you know, who sets up where uh, and all of that. You know, when we would tell him to do something or tell him like, you need to do this, he would do it. It was just like, we didn't really want to just literally be telling him how to run the fest though. Uh, and at one point he kind of asked me about what the set times were. And, I, and, you know, at that point I was kind of like, all right, you know, there needs to be some you know, semblance of uh, consistency here, which is the point when I started talking to the sound people about this. We were just trying to keep it together, just to mainly selfish out of our own selfish interest of not getting screwed. It was clear that Channing was just trying to keep it together, too. His fest was collapsing, and everybody was watching it happen. But it just didn't seem like he was trying hard enough to right the ship. But maybe, to him, it did seem like he was doing everything he could. And if people are laughing at you and calling this Firefest, and you're updating on the official event page with the schedule scribbled onto a piece of cardboard with a Sharpie, I'm like, try and do a little bit better. Like, but he just, just doesn't get it. 
so yeah, just kind of a lot of bands that didn't know where to put their stuff or like we certainly didn't or a lot of bands didn't know what stage they were on. Um, and even though so many bands had dropped, there were still about eight bands left by the time we got there and about, I don't know, two or three hours before noise ordinance kicked in. So there was, there was so much scrambling. When we started, you know, loading stuff in and um, setting up and playing, uh, things were going really well, considering how unorganized everything had been. I guess the um, crowd was around 30 to 35, maybe 40 people deep at that point, um, mostly comprised of bands, but there were a few fans there. When another Desaad played, we played it like 8.45. I mean, there's good 30 people or so in there it's not anything crazy but there was still a lot of people there you know appreciating what was going on so there were probably about 15 people out on the patio and about 30 people inside and it was kind of hyped up as like this huge event so i was really surprised to see that small of a turnout honestly the shows that were already booked at kiva both days helped and from the way things had played out 45 seemed like a good turnout there were a lot of tickets and camping passes refunded, and Channing had to not only pay back Mance, but whatever guarantees he promised to keep his axe. There was a lot of people that came in, but he didn't have anyone working the door. The creator of the festival was by the door with like a couple of people, but I don't necessarily know that he was taking payouts or not. So he lost probably at least a couple hundred dollars of revenue just by not collecting it from people who were just wandering in. And everybody seemed in pretty high spirits, despite, uh, you know, everything that had been going on. But I assume, uh, you know, to be a band that stayed on uh, that festival, you had to be at least a little optimistic, right? That's the thing about this whole ordeal. Every person who made it out was a true believer. It seemed like such a weird, rough road to get there that I have to imagine that it bound those people together and made it that much more special. It was great. Like, you know, this festival was really chaotic and unorganized, but at the same time, like all the people who were there were there to listen to music. And I don't think that as a touring act, you get that many audiences like that. All the bands were great. We had a really good time, you know, working with everybody and mixing everything. So even though, you know, there were only 30, 40 people there, everyone was super engaged, really right in the moment with what was going on. And so we had a blast, you know, we just played five songs to keep it short and then Elephant Gym came on and people were into it, man. So I was really excited about that aspect of it. it. Made me really happy. And it was still actually like a really killer show. Like it was like a really intimate, just, you know, one of those just, I was there this moment type of things. It was really cool. And that's a sentiment that I see echoed from every single person who was there. Nobody denies that being there and seeing Elephant Gym was anything less than spectacular. While I'm hesitant to call day one of the Math Rock Times Fest a success, this guy got a great band and 45 people who wanted to see them in the same room together. Tossing out everything else, that's a net positive for sure. Day two still went on, though attendance was understandably stunted, even from the previous days. Probably owing to Mass Rock Firefest being that same day, but there also wasn't the kind of elephant gym level headliner that you'd need to pull people back in after everything that had gone down. I still don't know exactly where the money came from, but somehow Mark and Mance got paid back too. Yeah, we were keeping an eye on him because we didn't want him to just bail and stiff us on the money. I mean, we knew how much he had lost already. Um, 
the porta potties loan cost him a thousand dollars that you know never got used. So that was it. Through it all, at least some version of the Math Rock Times Fest had happened. Once it was over, Channing paid up and expressed his gratitude to the two guys who had managed to pull it back from the brink. Got everything loaded up, and he thanked us for basically saving his ass and making sure that the fest happened. And uh, my crew kind of collectively was like, cool, you probably shouldn't ever do this again because you don't know what you're doing. And I think, you know, after it was all said and done, I think we were all worried because we're like, are people going to associate us with this guy? Because, you know, we were on the like the event page like, hey, y'all should still come. Like, you know, don't drop. And if you do get a budget and give it to people who know what they're doing and do the stuff that you're good at, because this is not it. I wish I could say that there was some kind of turnaround that Channing reevaluated what it meant to him that these bands stuck around and played a show despite all the reasons not to. Uh, Old News had one phone conversation with Matthew, which is the creator of the festival. Um, During that phone call, I asked him about details for the festival, like time, location, payout. Um, And during that conversation, he informed me that only touring bands were going to be prioritized for payout, which is super lame because we drove 11 hours and expended like over $300 to get there. Like we're a touring act. And so I kind of pressed him on it, but we never received any sort of straight answer about door split percentage or any sort of guarantee and turns out we got nothing the majority of shows i've played have been for no money unfortunately that's kind of what it's like when you're in a small band that plays niche music what bugs me about this is the inconsistency obviously elephant gym is prioritized that makes total sense they traveled from taiwan they have the biggest draw the most cachet and arguably did the most to salvage the festival's reputation i get that but kai from cat bamboo told me that Channing paid them three times the amount they were originally offered, presumably so they wouldn't drop. And I don't get the feeling they twisted his arm for it. Instead, it seems to me that a more equitable solution could have been worked out that got the guys from Old News and everyone else who played something, at least. You'd be hard-pressed to find anyone that says they play math rock for the money. So when you do get paid, it's kind of symbolic. It's a matter of principle. I've played shows that were, to put it kindly, underattended. Shows where I fully expected to pack up my gear and get ducked by a promoter I knew had just lost a couple hundred bucks. And I've been right. I've also been surprised when promoters came up to me and dropped a $20 bill in my hand and said, thanks for playing. We both know that in the grand scheme of things, functionally, that $20 is almost the same as $0. But just being paid, being respected enough to be approached and offered that small amount of money is worth more to me than whatever three times Cat Bamboo's guarantee is. And I can bet it would have been worth something like that to bow to. But let's jump back in time a bit. Earlier that day was Math Rock Firefest. It went completely smoothly. Everything was completely on time. About 200 people showed up at the peak of the festival, and it was completely free. Uh, on top of that, um, they had a donation box and donated a lot of money to bands who had been like kind of displaced. Um, and it was a great time. Nisha, that, that restaurant we were at, I think they donated a keg to us. They gave us a keg, but um, that thing sick. went in like 30 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I live across the street from a beer store, so like everybody was being generous with showing up with, you mm-hmm. know, because yeah. we advertised free beer and burgers. So my one of my roommates was actually manning the grill the whole time just flipping burgers and veggie dogs and he made a lot of money and then we made you know money for the bands it's our house and seeing like you know 250 people in the backyard we're like all right this is cool we can we can manage this yeah and we do that every south by two at the house like we last year we had a 
But the kitchen window was open, and we were just selling tacos out of the window. Um, the good news is that it ended up pretty well for us, as well as a lot of other bands. We got to hang out. Um, it was a really nice coming together of a small scene of people um, who are into like alternative and mathy and proggy music. It was it was a lot of fun. Uh, like so, I was in the front. I was kind of just like running the sound, like just making sure all the bands had what they you know needed. Um, but like this, this like old couple literally takes like lawn chairs and they set up right in like the very, very front while standards was playing and they just like sit there and they're just like enjoying the music. Like, and it was hanging loud. Out. And it was super it loud. It was really yeah, loud. Like, they're right next to a PA speaker. Yeah. Like two of them, like yeah. right there. And they were just hanging out and like nobody knew who they were. It was like, I think they were someone's grandparents. Really? I think they were in one of the bands. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I was like, this is, this is so cool. But it was like. Yeah, it was just like everybody just came out. It was, it was really interesting. A lot of dogs yeah. running around too. That was cool. Oh, yeah. Yeah, lots of pups. Something weird happened at Firefest, though. Remember that during both days of the Math Rock Times Fest, Channing was unaccounted for for the first couple of hours. At least on that second day, one person at Firefest, Carlos, was able to tell me what Channing was doing. Uh, my name's Carlos Roselle, and I'm from McAllen, Texas. Carlos's claim to fame is that he was the first person on record to outright compare Math Rock Times Fest to Fire Festival. Like, I don't know if you saw it, but I put I put on the event page, like, this is turning into Fire Fest 2.0, and he, like, I think he deleted it, or he got really upset with me about calling it Fire Fest. See? I'm watching the show, and a couple of a couple of friends and bands actually came up to me, and they were like, hey, like, uh, Matthew's here, and he's looking for you, like, he wants to talk to you. I think eventually somebody tells him, like, I'm standing in the front row uh, watching Modeca play at the time. And then, like, during their set, he comes up to me, and he's just like, hey, he's like, are you Carlos, and this and that. I was like, how's it going today? I was real respectful with them, but I, I obviously knew who he was. He comes up to me and he starts to tell me the reasons why his show didn't work. And honestly, like I never asked him for an explanation or anything like that. I was honestly very respectful with him and I just told him like, hey man, like I'm trying to watch my friend's band play. Like I, I like if you want to talk about this, like we can wait till after their set. He was like, oh, why'd you end up throwing this show, this and that. And then I told him, I was like, honestly, I was like, I didn't throw the show. I wish I would have thrown the show, but the guys in Ballerino threw the show and Obviously, it was kind of like making a scene because the thing is, like, I'm standing right in the front row where the band's playing, and he's trying to have a conversation with me. I, I, I just tried to tell him again, like, if you want to talk, we'll talk after the band's done. And then he just continued to talk to me. And then at that point, I was just like, you know what, dude? I was like, I don't really need to talk to you. We have nothing to talk about. Like, I don't, I don't know anything about that. He was nice when he came up. He shook he our hands, and he was like, thanks for doing this. And we were yeah. like, all right, it was nice to meet you, you know? So we didn't have like any resentment over you guys. Calling no, yeah, fans. like honestly, like he came up and like I mean it was kind of like I think I saw him. I saw the the shirt and the hat or something. I was like, is like somebody trying to be funny? And like I didn't really know, but like I was like just trying to set up the band, so I was like, all right, whatever. And then while I was running, he was like, hey, did you like do this whole thing? Came up to me and like uh, like I had never written before, so I didn't know who he was, and I was just like, uh, yeah, yeah, kind of, you know, me and you know Matt, a couple other people, and he's like, well, hey, thanks for doing this, like. Well, one, he was also trying to get me to point out other people that were supposed to, in the bands that were supposed to have played. Um, that was a little weird. Yeah, that was kind of weird. I didn't, I, I I didn't felt weird. I, I felt weird being like that. I mean, there was, there was Sean from Kraken, and he asked me if that was him over there, and so I was like, yeah, that's him. And he was just walking around, talking to all the other bands, trying to get information as to why they dropped. He just really wanted to know why nobody wanted to go to San Marcos, but it was just, it was the obvious answer as to, like, it was too far for, like, 
a South by Southwest event. You could tell he had this attitude on his face. Like he was very upset as to why, like why it was doing so well. I think his intention was to try and apologize. But according to a lot of people that I talked to, he was kind of like, uh, kind of like bulldogging them and like trying to understand why this festival was happening. Um, but yeah, I mean, he was chill. Like he was definitely like, thanks for doing this, man. This is great. Like, so, and he apologized because I guess, uh, I keep forgetting my band was supposed to play. So like he, uh, he was like, oh, sorry for doing that. Like, sorry. Like it was all disorganized. Like it won't ever happen again. That kind of stuff. I guess he was no yeah. hard feelings or anything. He was, he was cool. Yeah. It was a very like transparent, like, you know, sorry, thank you kind of a thing. Yeah. Like, cool. I think you got a cheeseburger. I wish I could say that the story ended there, but there's an unfortunate footnote to all of this. A quick technical note here. We had some difficulties with Mance's recording around this part, but I think what he's saying is too important to paraphrase, so stick with me here. At this point, just because of all, like, some of the crazy shit that I've seen, even in the last day or two with him on, like, some groups, like, kind of trying to defend himself in a really inappropriate way. It was actually maybe a long time after the fest. Um, I was on tour and I saw a thread and someone was making a joke that they had printed out a day two ticket. All the day two bands dropped, us included. Uh, I think there was only like eight bands that stayed on for day two out of 30. And he, he gets really upset with me because I'm sitting there in the comments thread saying that's kind of what happens when like I said, there's standards and practices aren't followed. He gets mad at me and starts saying that, you know, it's our fault that the festival went under. And he says that we made him fire his other writer. And that's not at all what happened. That's just a, that's just a lie. I really got upset at that because he'd lied to me and said that that guy never worked for him or all this other stuff. And that's kind of when I just decided to block him on Facebook because I just won't tolerate that kind of behavior at any capacity. And I understand that he must be frustrated that people are making fun of his festival, you know? But instead of owning up to what happened and saying, okay, I messed up, I tried to do too much, I didn't have the proper budget, I didn't have the proper staff, I didn't have any of the right things, and accepting that, he throws me under the bus and says that because we dropped first, you know, that we're the ones to blame for his festival tanking. It's like, okay, you can blame me all you want, but I had nothing to do with you not having a proper budget or any of this other stuff. And in fact, it was the opposite. I probably sold you a bunch of tickets that, uh, with money that you didn't deserve to have, you know? Um, I saw some really mean shit said about Matthew. Um, he, took, he took everything pretty to heart, honestly. He was telling everyone, you know, I don't understand why you're mad. I issued all the refunds that I had to. And, uh, you know, I, I did this great festival and all this stuff. As much as he was defending himself, I feel like I saw him, at least after it all happened, acknowledge, like, because I saw his post in some of the pages after it happened. And, like, I feel like he was taking it on the chin a lot. And some of it's definitely deservedly so, but I would say it's all, it, it was just mainly incompetence, not any malicious intent. It wasn't him trying to be cheap. It wasn't him trying to, like, take people's money. Um, I, I don't, I, I think that it's important that that gets out, that he wasn't, you know, trying to do anything malicious. He just, he had good intentions. He didn't know what he was doing and he got in way over his head. Essentially, although Channing won't admit this, uh, the Fire Festival had a very similar thing, which was, it was 
an event that was sold to people that didn't actually exist. Similar to the Math Rock Times Fest, um, the, the event was not logistically possible. The thing that happened that made everybody really pissed at Matthew was like the one thing that was probably completely out of his control because I think Zen still knew the size of the fest at the end of the day and it had been that size for quite a while before it happened so to me it was like you know he could have checked or he could have said hey guys like I don't think we can do it a long time before it actually happened if it were me and I had booked the fest like that like I, I if I'm being really honest with myself I don't know if I would have actually gone to the extent of checking with someone's landlord. This is consistent with what Channing said in his responses to episode one. As far as he's concerned, the landlord situation is all Zen's fault. I'm not sure what to think about this. In my interview with Zen, it hadn't occurred to me that he might be being untruthful about his level of involvement. The stakes just weren't that high for him. He didn't strike me as a particularly plugged-in kind of guy, and for what it's worth, I believe that he didn't fully grasp Channing's intentions for the size and scope of the festival. This doesn't mean that he's without fault, but I don't think he was dishonest with me. Even so, running an event with so many moving parts means that it's crucial to verify absolutely everything, even if Zen told you his landlord's cool with it. Had we not messaged him, it probably actually would have been Firefest. People probably would have showed up to that land. There would have been like two little dinky speakers on stands outside. No one would have been able to hear shit. And there probably would have been people like trying to camp in total darkness. And as we saw when Elephant Gym played, we probably actually had better sound in Kiva than we would have outside or in the house at the fest. So in a lot of ways, it was could have still been really awesome. And I'm not sure how successful Firefest was, but you know, for all the for all the incompetence, he still like, you know, you know, I still feel like he did the did right as best he could, which I think is important. So my impressions of the festival were that it was such a great idea and a great gesture, but there just wasn't the level of attention to detail necessary to pull it off. And I see a lot of people online kind of going after Matthew, which I can totally understand. But at the same time, like he was trying to do something really great and it just ended up not really coming through. Um, we, as old news, had a killer time playing. But yeah, at the same time, you know, when you don't communicate to bands and we have to find out ourselves where to be and when. And then, you know, when you invest that much time and like hundreds of dollars in gas to get there, you know, it makes me <clears throat> and kind of us a little bit less willing to try next time. Um, but at the same time, everything's said and done, you know, we had a great time and we were really appreciative of the audience that was there. He is incredibly passionate about our genre and about um, the Math Rock Times uh, and wanting to kind of take his brand and further um, kind of our scene and the, and the genre in, in a national sense. I do also agree that his downfall was a lack of planning or at least partnering, having that, having the foresight to partner with somebody who could plan uh, something like that. You know, there were bands that drove and flew from miles and miles, like, like further than we had, you know, cause we, we were going on a tour. Some bands flew out just for the one show, you know, they flew out or they drove from very far away for this one event. And they figured, oh, it's going to be great because, you know, we've got all these really big headliners in the scene and it's going to be a monumental event. Um, and it's it's disappointing that essentially we were all lied to. And I didn't even know if he even had the money to pay us what he promised. I don't feel like he intentionally got in over his head or that he intentionally was like trying to, 
you know, sell tickets and not deliver a good product. I just felt like he just got into this and was really was excited about it, but was pretty unorganized and just really didn't know what he was doing. Like, like I said, I, I'm not going to say anything bad about the dude just because like, you know, he, he, he came at this with complete good intentions. Um, we all did. You know, you got to appreciate that he was trying to like pull off something really cool for the math rock community. But at the same time, yeah, communication is so key. His passion will only take him so far as, um, you know, as he understands his, you know, shortcomings when it comes to specifically, um, you know, event planning, show booking and all of that stuff. Because if he is going to want to take action regarding shows, um, he's going to have to either learn from his mistakes and kind of you know, get the ropes from either from trial and error or hopefully partnering with other people and learning from them. You know, at the end of the day, I think everything worked out for the better. I think it's just important in a DIY scene to have some sort of vetting because anyone can say that they're doing a festival and they're doing all this stuff, but the amount of work that goes into doing something like, something like that is, is preposterous. Like, I used to work for day festivals that would happen and they started booking the festival 16 months out from the day. You know, that's the kind of planning that it takes to put on a really big festival. And there was just none of that. And it was, it's disappointing, but hopefully he can learn his lesson um, on basic standards and practices and how to take care of people and to talk to people because I felt like I was disrespected time and time again. And it is essentially written off as, you know, his personality, but it's just not acceptable. I honestly feel like um, he got a little bit too eager with it, which, you know, which was a, a lack of experience and you know he he kind of um he dove into the deep end you know what i mean um which you know for first time swimmers that's not always the best option sometimes you get lucky you float up but some people just know how to swim you know i guess what was so ironic about all of this is like had the one thing that was out of Matthew's control, I feel like not happened. It, this fest probably would have gone off really, really well, but, and I don't mean to, this sounds probably really dickish to say, but like really out of, because of the hard work that Mark and myself and the rest of our band kind of put in to make sure like we kept messaging him like, Hey, did you do this? Did you do that? Did you do this? And I think, you know, with us doing the sound, plus people putting pressure on to get actual porta potties, had the thing with the landlord on happened, it probably would have been a huge success. If he if he wants to do it, uh, take another stab at it. It's got to be with somebody who knows what they're doing, and hopefully, he'll be able to learn from them and uh, kind of iron out his craft if he wants to continue doing that. So I definitely admire him, but. You know, when, when you take risks like that, that don't have any planning behind them, people's opinion about you takes a loss, fans take a loss financially, uh, and it, you know, it doesn't really, it's not really worth it. And I, I, I think he knows that. For that reason, I have, will have nothing to do with the Math Rock Times, any events associated with Math Rock Times, or any assist, uh, events associated with Channing ever again. Um, and he did actually contact me uh, for trying to plan something in South, uh, in South by 2020, uh, which I told him I was doing Plus Fest 2.5, so 
um, I guess, stay tuned on something that may come to Austin in 2020. Uh, but yeah, I know. I was like, okay, nope, but thanks. I am not doing the same thing for him ever again. Uh, he would have to have at least two or three grand in hand up front before I would, you know, move anything. Matthew Chan, he has a good heart. Maybe, you know, he'll do something later on and it turns out better. This story was written, narrated, and produced by me, Chris Walker. Santino Tartaglia provided additional edits and mixing. Thanks to Nick Hunter, producer, site creator, and all-around good dude for giving us a platform for this stuff and making this all possible. I also want to thank everyone who spoke with me for this story. Whether you appeared on the show or just gave me some info on background, I could not have made it without you. This episode has been a production of Room Temperature Suite, the Fecking Bahamas podcast. Visit feckingbahamas.com for articles, interviews, new releases, and a whole bunch of other great stuff. If you found us on social media and you're into left-of-center music, check out our website. I'm sure you'll find something there to dig into. If you like what we do here and you want us to keep it up, then the best thing you can do is tell a friend. Share the episode, post it somewhere, print out the link and mail it to your local representative, whatever. I'm sure you hear this all the time, but rating and reviewing us on iTunes really helps too. This episode featured songs from Old News, Brother Rutherford, Macaulay Vulcan, Lucent, I Feel Fine, Tone Team, Salooner, and Fight Cloud. If you like what you heard, go buy something from them. We'll have links on this episode show page. Lastly, if you just want to say hi, you can send an email to roomtemppodcast at gmail.com. 